Network security is an important part of any hospital, including rural. But rural hospitals may be even more likely targets as bad actors assume there's less security and therefore systems would be easier to breach. So how do rural hospitals defy that assumption, ensuring safe networks and secure operations? With strategic countermeasures consistent training, and constant vigilance. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 109 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Chief Communications Officer. Rachel, our guest today is someone, first of all, who is brand new to this podcast, yes. right? Never First before. timer. Excited. Very excited. Uh, it is someone who is obviously passionate about network safety and security, protecting our operations uh, for healthcare in today's environment, which is uh, ever-growing uh, cyber threats. So you cannot turn on your computer and not know that behind the scene, there's a lot going on, right? We take it, you know, we take for granted, Rachel. Oh, yeah. When you and I turn those computers on and you know, what's going on and all those times that we feel like it's delayed. There's a lot going on in the background. I want to talk about that today because right. it's Who's very important. The, there's a comedian. I don't know if it's, I can't remember who it is, but he makes a joke about how we get so frustrated with our phones and it's like, hang on a second. It's going to space. Give it a minute, you know? <laughs> so yeah, our computers are uh, yeah. going to space. Exactly. But, um, exactly. So today we're talking with our very own cybersecurity guru who is keeping us on our toes so that we're prepared for threats that may come our way and hopefully is keeping the potential attackers on their toes too. Our guest today is Joshua Doherty, a network administrator right here at Hillsdale Hospital. So welcome to Rural Health Rising today. Thank you. Happy to be here. So to start, Joshua, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work here at Hillsdale Hospital? I am the information technology manager, the network administrator, HIPAA security officer, PACS administrator, information security officer. Oh this yes. sounds like a, this is very familiar on this, this podcast, like, like that we have 12 us. things in yeah. our titles and what we do. Exactly. Yep. So what do you do in your and spare time, And other duties <laughs> as assigned, right? I hate being bored. So. Yeah, that's obvious. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm a CISSP, Certified Information Systems Security Professional. Okay. Um, three classes away from my MBA with a concentration in cybersecurity. Very happy for you on that one. Thanks. Very exciting. And your college and university is where? Siena Heights. Siena Heights. Very good. Yep. And three more classes, Josh. So yep. that means this summer or does that mean next fall? Uh, this winter. I'll graduate. This winter. Good. Yep. Very good. Uh, I started at Hillsdale Hospital 12 years ago as uh, an IT intern as part of my associate's degree. Oh, really? I didn't know I you started as that. an intern. I do. Yep. I wow. And you were yep. you were at uh, what college? Baker. Baker College. That's right. Yep. And how did you hear about Hillsdale? My uh, advisor at Baker was in talks with Steve Rausch trying to get people down oh, here. Oh, that's right. And so then you started uh, your internship. Yep. Knowing that you wanted to get into IT eventually. Mm -hmm. Did, Did you, you think you wanted to do healthcare IT? Sorry. Just told, <laughs> Did I steal that question? <laughs> uh, at that point, I had no idea which direction I was going in. Mm -hmm. I was literally the first person to graduate with the cybersecurity degree from oh. Baker, Baker College. Yeah, that was Jackson. big back then, right? Oh, wow. So, I mean, that they yeah. had just started that course uh, training. And that was really a result of what had happened with the World Trade Center. And there was some focus on making sure securities were in place. And some of those segues came in for some of these classes. So you were the first graduating class of that program? Yeah. That's at, incredible. At Baker and Jackson. Yeah, right. They had right. it before in wow. like De uh, Detroit and yeah, one of their other that's campuses. Awesome. But, so right. you interned here and then did you stay on after graduation or did you have a time that you were not here and came back? Um, 
there was no budget to hire me then, so <laughs> I kept coming as a volunteer. Wow. Yeah. I was unemployed anyway. Yeah. So I figured having the experience yeah. on my resume was better than no. sitting there at home. Yeah. yeah. So five years later, I'm like, let's just add him to the payroll. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it's like, really, it's, he's a nice guy yeah, and right. he's buying us lunch every once in a while. Let's just add him to the <laughs> so, payroll. Yeah, right, right. Well, it's, it's obviously uh, has been a remarkable journey for you, uh, mm-hmm. Josh. And uh, you have moved up the ranks. Um, you obviously started as a volunteer uh, and then you were simply working as help desk, weren't you? Yep. And then from there, you moved to kind of like the analyst position, right? Yep. And uh, then from there, you kind of had an opportunity then to get involved in more of the the securities. Yes. And uh, I think during that period when we had the IT director here, you were actually named securities administrator, right? Yes. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit about what that means in a minute. Um, but certainly, uh, you took all that experience and then... How long has it been now since you've been a manager? Three years. Three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was right about the time that you became CEO. I think that's right. Yeah, when all those transitions happened. Yeah, and it uh, obviously has been a remarkable journey uh, for me to watch you grow. I think that's been great, and to watch you learn and uh, to teach us as well. I think that's very important. And then to know at night, you know, why CEOs often have <laughs> a gastric reflux. Uh, <laughs> one of the reasons is because of their. IT securities, Mm -hmm. uh, network security, or lack thereof. And just, we're going to talk about it today, the number of threats that are out there. Hopefully you've got some numbers because I heard they're staggering numbers of the number of threats that try to come into an organization every day. So I'm going to ask you that question. If not, uh, then you have to make it up. But ultimately, (laughs) uh, we need to talk a little bit about the threat and then what some of those ramifications are for organizations that are targeted. But Josh, you know, long history, is that you have been in this world for well over a decade. Uh, you have represented healthcare very well, serving on some state boards, regional boards, uh, assisting in many areas. Um, and that's your background. But I want to ask you another question. Okay. I want to know, what is your why? So we, we ask this question on every one of our podcasts so that we get to know our guests just a little bit better. And for our listeners today and for us, what motivates Josh? What gets you up out of bed in the morning to do the work that you do every day, as stressful as it is, every day? What, what, is, what is your why? In information technology, you have to specialize a lot. And at large organizations, you do the same thing every day, every day. You're the firewall team. You're playing with the firewall all day. If you're mm-hmm. in the server team, you build servers and maintain servers. That's all you do. Uh, my why for here, one of the two is I get to do everything. Yeah. I get to have my hands everywhere. Um, I'm not as specialized mm-hmm. as a lot of them, but I get to play with everything. Yeah. You, I mean, you have um, to know everything, too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is a challenge. Yeah. Well, right. if you ask my mom when I was a teenager, I already you know did. Or you yeah. know it all. <laughs> yeah. I already knew everything. So yeah. it's just. Well, perfect. Yeah. 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 Well, I know I, I taught you last week that you can actually recall an uh, email. Yeah. So see, you do learn. Every, you taught him that? I, yes. You know, ironically, I did. No, you uh, did well, not. Yes, yeah. I did. Well, technically, Carrie taught well, Carrie, him. Carrie, my assistant, taught oh, me. Oh, and, and then, then I taught, taught him. Yes. Yeah. That's hilarious. But we didn't know that. But anyway, nope. I did not mean to interrupt you, Josh. Oh, no. But. I like this hospital's size. Uh, our, we used to use the tagline, large enough to be of service, small enough to care. Yeah. Um, in the IT world, we're large enough to get all the fun toys and small enough that I get to play with them all. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And at times, you know, you have to fix them. 
because a lot of toys break, uh, and we'll talk about some of those challenges because the cost of technology is yeah. just unbelievable. It really is. Um, the biggest why that I have, though, is our patients. Um, is from my point of view, the most important thing we do is take care of our patients' well-being. And the second most important thing we do is protect their information. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I find it meaningful to get to do that. So the fact that I get to work somewhere where I have a meaningful career and I'm well entertained, yeah. I can't beat it. That's, That's my the why. dream. Living dream the dream. Dream job. Let's start with the major cybersecurity threats uh, when it comes to healthcare. Uh, certainly, headlines across the country announcing threats, access, many that have been stopped, but some that actually came through. Uh, and have hurt organizations. And and we're not just talking about, you know, a crash computer. You know, that used to be a concern as uh, how did it how did it get hacked, right? Um, what type of attacks that we're going to talk about today, hopefully you'll explain to us, are more of the substantial attacks against the healthcare industry, which is really to get information, if I'm not mistaken. But I would like for you to explain what types of those attacks that we're seeing right now in healthcare and what is the goal of the person on the other end uh, with with their attacks, let's call it? Is that a proper terminology to attacks? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's All exactly right. what it is. All right. Why don't, you, why don't you talk to us about that? All right. Let's start with the goals. There's many reasons for cyber attacks. It could be anything from kids playing around trying to do a SQL injection on a website for fun just to see if they can do it. It could be cyber terrorism trying to hack Mm -hmm. the energy grid and shut things down. Uh, With healthcare, there's only one reason, and it's money. Yeah. Mm. A medical record is worth a lot of money. Sure is. It's worth about 10 times as much as a valid credit card number on the internet. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Is that because it's used in identity theft primarily? Exactly. That's exactly what it's for. Because I was going to say, what do people want with other people's medical records? But it's the ability to do very successful identity theft. Yes. You can get a mortgage with the information Mm -hmm. in a medical record. Mm -hmm. That's scary. And the other side of that, so it has a face value, let's say, but also it has a replacement value because the organization who loses it also has to pay. Yep. So so there is that that issue as well, right? So the one thing I want to I want to touch on, you said two kids sitting in their basement. That really happens? Like yes. they can really hack into I mean, that's sophisticated. There's a lot of pre-built tools out really? there that you can get free on the internet. So if you say and you Google I want to hack my neighbor's computer, you can find tools to do that. Absolutely. Really? Yep. Josh, are these becoming crimes in, in the United States or how do, how are those dealt with on a criminal basis? They've been crimes for decades. Yeah. Uh, if you get caught, then it is absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Federal uh, crimes. I was yeah. going to say, are most of them federal crimes? Combination. Oh, okay. Um, a lot of them are local. Mm-hmm. Oh. Even state or even county. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. And a lot of them are ordinances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just all the but cases you hear of the big people, stuff is the big stuff is all federal yeah. cross yeah. state lines. I guess all the cases you hear of like hackers being in prison, they're all hanging out at Club Fed. So yeah, <laughs> well. so so you what know what other threats? Yeah, yeah. Uh, ransomware is always a hot topic. It's almost a buzzword at this point, uh, but it's just like any other malware, except it's been monetized very well. And it sounds like something out of a movie. I think that's part yeah. of it. It's like it's so easy for someone to understand on a base level what's happening with ransomware, whereas some of these other attacks, the way that they're 
that they actually function, it's less tangible for people than I think a ransomware attack, right? Yep. And that's that's very big right now because of how easily it's monetized. Mm -hmm. With other types of attacks, they're getting in and exfiltrating data, then they have to process that data, then they have to sell that data before Mm -hmm. they get paid. With ransomware, they get paid. Let's talk about ransomware because um, it's not just healthcare. I mean, no. ransomware, we, we had something locally here, as you and I both texted about it the day it happened. Uh, Not local, local to Hillsdale Hospital, no, but no, local to this to, community. Was, yeah, yeah. Uh, to, it's like a school district. And that information was obtained. Now, if you think about school districts, they have everything. Oh, yeah. Mom and dads, everything. Kids, mm-hmm. everything. Um, but it's it's monetized. I, now I have a, just well, and to, isn't it easier to steal the identity of someone who doesn't already have a, well, you can create have a, a record, yeah. right? So if it's someone under 18... And, yeah. They're a ghost, basically, so they're easy to take on their identities. Yep. So I guess my question to you is when you see these ransomwares, typically the hostage taker of that information will contact the party that they just stole the information from, i.e., let's just say it's a hospital. Uh, They offer them a price. Yes. Yep. And how is this money exchange? How is this done? Is this cryptocurrency? Yeah, that's a good question. Yes, that's exactly is it. Really? It. It's cryptocurrency. Is it all happening like at one computer where there's like a pop-up box that says, pay me money to get right. your computer pay back? Now. Like you would think of it happening in a movie or is it not quite that dramatic? Even though it's still dramatic. That is kind of dramatic. It's very dramatic. I don't know. I don't know that. I hope we never find out. All right, exactly. So, <laughs> so they, use, they use cryptocurrency. Yes. Because it's untraceable. Because it's untraceable. Right. How so? So they will tell you, you owe us X amount in cryptocurrency. Now you have to go out and buy the cryptocurrency, right? Yes. You buy it on whatever market crypto exchange you find. Yep. Yep. Cryptoexchange.com at your local Walmarts. And then all (laughs) of a sudden, that money's transferred and it's gone. Yes. It's not traceable. Yep. And hopefully they restore your access, right? Well, that was my second question. So good question. Yeah. My, my, and you may not know this, is it 100% legit? All the, and when I say legit, what I mean is when you pay, do they release? Normally, yes. Okay. Because if they get a reputation for not releasing it after they you won't. pay, yeah. no one else is going to pay. Oh, That's so it true. will reduce the effectiveness of ransomware for everybody if people don't pay. Yes. Or don't give the data back. Yeah. The business model is based on them. Yeah. Letting you have well, your right. access. You got to provide good customer service, yeah. right? To yeah. the people you're scamming. Exactly. <laughs> right. I mean, you have to be an honorable scammer. Yeah. So my question then is, all right, so this information is released, right? Um, to somehow they get it. They get the information. They don't release it to the public, but they release it back to us and say, I've got 7,000 of your patient accounts, right? Uh, what it actually is, is they okay. the information never generally leaves your system. Oh. They just encrypt your system so you can't get to it. So that one is truly oh. just a cash grab. It's not so a data grab. So that's not grab. like they don't, de- they don't have the data. No. Oh. They just so keep, in order to they basically it. just right. grind no, your so entire organization to, to a halt. Obviously, there's exceptions for everything. Every piece of malware is written differently. Some mm-hmm. could take the data and encrypt what's there. Mm-hmm. Some just encrypt what's there. You don't know. Everybody writes it different, and there's new ones every day. Okay. Yeah. So you pay to have this released, mm-hmm. and then... They basically send you a password to type in. And that's it? Yep. And so what precautions do you take as an organization after that? I mean, have you have they been into something? Do you have to do a forensic audit? Do you have to call the federal government? What happens in those cases? Do you need to do a forensic audit? Yeah. 
um, to see where their footprint has been, right? See how yeah. they got in. And then you yep. determine, all right, maybe they accessed information that we have to release to the public, right? Yeah. Um, so so ransomware is they they locked you out, you get back in. Mm-hmm. Um, them coming in to grab your data, have, have there been reported cases where they sell that data back to you? Have you heard of those or no? I've not heard of that. Okay. All right. Generally, they'll say they get 100,000 medical records, yeah. and then they'll put them for sale on the dark net en masse. Hmm. You buy this bundle of 100,000 files. And someone buys those to apply for credit cards that, all right, so- Well, and la- multiple people can buy the same data, so I'm guessing right. it, it creates more long-term income for them than if they just had you pay for it. Yeah. I guess then the question is, um, when when we've looked at these, let's just say ransomware case, okay, um, where is this, are these based in the United States? Do we have an idea of where they're coming from? Is there a single source or is it just anybody? It could be anybody that has the program. You can All buy, right. you can buy the means to do it. Yeah. Wow. That's scary. Yeah. So why Rachel's going to ask the next question. I'm going to actually Google to see what the biggest payment, and you may know it, has been made on ransomware. Do you know? Oh, I, I, do, but I don't remember it off the top of my head. I actually just put it in a paper about a month and a half <laughs> okay. ago. Okay, well, I'm going to look for <laughs> it. Well, we're going to find out. I'm going to look for it. Um, so we have seen some chatter in the industry lately, and I've seen it a couple different times, and every time it kind of makes me a little bit annoyed. Um, but basically, headlines or um, even articles from uh, healthcare organizations and associations saying things like, you know, rural hospitals are unprepared for cyber attacks. They're easier targets. Um, and of course, this isn't true across the board, right? We, we're not in every hospital and we don't know the security measures that every rural hospital has in place. Um, but what do you think is behind that idea and that mindset? What would make a rural hospital an easier target and how are some of those gaps able to be shored up by that organization? Well, the most important thing is, like you said, I don't know what other hospitals are doing specifically. Right. Um, so it could just be perception. If you think rural hospital, then you think smaller, mm-hmm. less resources. You know, a nationwide hospital system has billions that they could be spending. Mm-hmm whereas a smaller organization doesn't. Fortunately, we're not in that boat. Our senior leadership understands that not having these protections is a lot more expensive if mm-hmm. we have to pay a lawsuit mm-hmm. or a right. HIPAA breach fine. That's quite the gamble to take that hopefully it won't happen. Yeah. Um, one lawsuit can cost 100 times more than what it would have to just have put the proper protections in place in the first place. Yeah. But that's not universal thinking. I can easily see the way hospitals, all of them pretty much, are hemorrhaging money right now. Yeah. I can easily see a CFO saying, this is not bringing me revenue. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, that's IT is not designed to bring no. you revenue. No. It's designed to stop you from losing revenue. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. For security anyway. Uh, another problem with uh, rural hospital IT security is finding the right people. Mm. Rural area means smaller talent pool. That's true. Good point. That's true. Uh, How we got around that here is I've looked for people based on their attitude, based on their work ethic, based on their ability to grow. Mm -hmm. You can teach IT to anybody. You can't teach things like that. 
Right. So I found people with the right attitude that were willing to learn and grow. And the hospital has helped me get everyone in the IT department in school some ways or mm-hmm. additional training. Mm-hmm. And we're all working in different directions and then complementing each other with those. Yeah. That's why you guys have the most fun department. <laughs> IT is the most fun, I'm telling you, of this true. entire Generally place. speaking, unless, <laughs> unless the phones are shut down and things are happening. Well, yeah. Texting right. Josh. When there's not a the fire morning. to immediately be put out, right. uh, or at least a gigantic fire to immediately be put out, yeah. these guys are having fun all the time down there. Actually, when the phones are out, it's really peaceful. Well, of course. <laughs> no one's calling. Good boy. Um, so just as a note, uh, the highest recorded. Oh, yeah. 4.5 million. But they, they, the authors and the writers of the stories say that the majority of the public holdings and private companies don't release how much they paid. It is rumored that someone has paid upwards of $41 million dollars to have the information oh restored. Now, gosh. I'm going to read you a text between the ransom taker and the company that settled for $4.5 million, okay? Oh, my gosh. And it's public information. So it's CWT, which I'm assuming that that's some kind of, uh, maybe it's a trading. Anyway, uh, they shut down, as a result of this, their, their files, three, excuse me, 30,000 computers were down from Oh, this. my gosh. So they screenshotted. The text messages between the two. So the bad guy says, thank you for your patience. <laughs> the boss, the boss <laughs> said, Sorry, the, I know the boss. And this is like, he's got like a business suit on and everything. In oh his yeah. Profile the pic. little avatar. Yep. The boss said that if we will process, if, if we will process the payment and close the deal in 24 hours, this is the bad guy talking, then we agree for 4.5 million. We are guaranteeing that after payment, we will be received on our Bitcoin wallet. We will provide you with decryption software and delete all the data from our servers to avoid any leaks. Thanks. Then the good guy in the company says, well, that's great. I'm sure I can get this pushed through my CFO. Can you also confirm uh, where this information will come from? <laughs> this is a conversation, a real one. It sounds very cordial. It sounds weirdly like very cordial. Um, so very interesting, obviously, hmm. um, but they do predict that uh, the industry is losing hundreds of millions of dollars a year from this, but it just goes unreported. Right. Because right. people just well, it's And you don't want to admit that yeah. you had to pay a bunch of money for yeah. ransomware. And if your data wasn't actually breached, it will probably create the perception that it was, which can create an issue with your customers oh, and your market. Everybody's and angry or. So or I understand why they do it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something. So, all right. So, Josh, let's talk about network safety. You know, that safety is a full-time job. Now, why is that? Um, it's because it's a 24-hour business. Yeah. Right. Information never sleeps. Yeah. So, we have to monitor things 24 hours a day. I get text alerts on my phone. I was going to say, how do you do that? How do you keep yeah, an you eye what, on stuff? Because you don't have someone who is actively on the clock on IT 24-7. You've got someone on call 24-7. We have software that's monitoring things. And when certain conditions are met, mm-hmm. we get notifications. Just an example, if a normal user account is elevated to get administrator access, I immediately get a text message. Oh, because, because the you first wouldn't have thing, done that. Yeah, we don't do that. 
Um, we have zero administrator accounts across the organization that aren't in IT. In the IT department, right? Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So if someone, the first thing someone's going to do if they get into your network mm-hmm. is they want to get administrative access so they can make changes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's called getting root, basically. Mm. You want root access. We do everything we can to stop anyone from doing that. Even with our consent, we make it difficult to do. Mm-hmm. With multi-factor authentications required for everything. We just, we make it as difficult as possible to get in and we monitor as many things as possible just to uh, make sure that we're always, even if we're not here, we're getting a data feed mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't do this alone. I mean, not you yourself, but you also, you have companies, right, that you contract with that provide you expert advice or they provide you some type of, or, or are you doing this all alone from your workstation downstairs? Most of it I'm doing on my own. Okay. Um, we do have some outside services that we use for some things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but... It's pretty cost prohibited to do a lot of that stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. We've seen the because, proposals, haven't we? Yeah. I mean, everybody, nobody <laughs> wants to sell you a software. No. It's all as a subscription. Oh, now. yeah, exactly. So yeah. if you want anything, you're paying for it forever. Gotta love that. So anything software that, as a oh, service yeah. Yeah. business. Yeah. I hate it. Well, Josh, you and I both have looked at proposals where companies uh, have proposed coming and doing a audit, a risk assessment, and we're talking hundred thousand dollars. We're not talking about just a few thousand. We're talking about significant and how they sell it is, well, uh, if you don't do this, then you're putting your organization at risk, your finances at risk, your patients at risk. I mean, it's all the compelling reasons, right? Yeah. And, and so those are all the reasons that we look at, okay, when is it time? And I want to ask you that question. When is it time? We have my counterparts are listening to this uh, across the country. When do you bring in an expert to say, you know what, let's trust but verify. Let's look at your processes. Do you feel that's an important process? It's 100% important to have someone from the outside look in mm-hmm. because... This is not the kind of thing you can do in-house. You need someone who doesn't already know your systems to find where your vulnerabilities are. Yeah, we do it annually. I do inspections myself. And then every couple of years, two to three years, we bring in an outside company to do one. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does just that look catch, like? It looks like, like about a, a thousand-page uh, report after they're done. That's really? what it looks and like. It, it yes. means more work for Is you. Is that what's referred to as penetration testing? Yep. That's a good part of it. Yeah. Yep. Um, basically, they plug a box into our network. Oh, they do? Yep. They, they ship me a box, and I plug it into our network. And then they try to hmm. break into our network from the outside. And really? then whether they can or they can't, then they get into their box and they see what they can do from the inside as if they were able to get in, whether yeah. they could or couldn't. So that way you can test your crunchy outer security and your chewy candy center. Wow. <laughs> so so then got. they what they do is obviously they don't actually take that information. Yep. Because that would be a violation, even if they're doing it for training purposes, right? Yep. So they just let you know it's accessible. They so get to the point. Threat. They get to the point where they could compromise it and say, "Okay, mm-hmm. we could have done this. We didn't take that ex- right. extra step." Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And and so then looking at every few years is that what we're looking at? Yeah. All right. When? So the last question I have for you then, uh, based on this conversation, is when is the appropriate time to bring someone in? Okay. After there's been a breach, or do you try to manage it on your own? 
So what does that look like? After there's a breach, the yeah. first thing you do is bring people in. Right. Like mm-hmm. while the breach is happening. Okay. While mm-hmm. you're running around with scissors cutting cables. Yeah, literally. <laughs> you've got yeah. someone else on the phone calling your cyber insurance company to okay. say, what do you got for me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or um, you'll have someone already on retainer or something yeah. that's standing by in the wings. We've got a few different companies. And when you say the, so let's say that we have a insurance company, right? That works with us. Uh, I'm sure they give us some type of coverage and reinsurance. Uh, they have a vested interest to make sure that we're not compromised. Yes. I have to do an annual attestation okay. with Mark. So mm-hmm. you basically have to verify that we're following this and this and this and this, because if we don't and there's a breach, then they're not going to cover it. Exactly. And so then you attest to that every year. Yes. And we make the changes that yeah. if there's things that they say that we need to be doing and we're not, we make those changes real quick. And Josh, we recently, and this would impact all hospitals, and, and there's been some changes to some premiums and some other things. And we, we've we been somewhat lucky, I, maybe we'll call it luck, but the cost for some of this coverage, Josh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it is. I we, mean, do you we, know some of those numbers? We just switched companies this year. Because our old one increased their price by a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we were able to find another company. Mark was actually. I'm not going to take any credit for that. Yeah. He was the able CFO. to find another company yeah. that uh, was the same price as we were paying previously. It's just unbelievable because, you know, we had talked with our insurance rep um, probably a year ago. And uh, this this hit national. So I was at a conference last year and they started to talk about how premiums are just going to be off the charts. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the way that their reinsurance works or the way they're getting billed or something of that nature, basically where the insurance companies are taking a lot of the hits. So they want to pass that along. Right? right. So when your experience is bad as a driver, you have to pay more. And so this is a little different because it's not based on experience. It's based on what's happening in the industry. Mm-hmm. So a couple, you know, bad mistakes by a couple bad actors all the rest of us have to pay. Everybody has to pay. Yep. Right now, if I drive bad, you don't pay more. You don't pay more. I pay more. Unfortunately, that's what's happening in the industry. And I think that's a significant concern as we move forward as they keep paying these ransoms is that pretty soon these insurances are going to be like, all right, this is this is over the top. Can't afford it. And speaking of with ransomware, back on that topic for a second, is there any alternative to paying out when there's a ransomware attack? Yeah. Uh, How I, do you get around that? If I have my way, we would never pay a ransom if we got yeah. hit. Mm-hmm. We have uh, robust backups taken at many different points, and we keep them for a long period of time. Mm. A lot of ransomware, you may have gotten hit with it six months ago, and it just sat there and did nothing except it's got a little timer on it, and it's waiting, and it's waiting, and it's waiting. It's just a so ticking that, time bomb to wait until you probably don't have a backup anymore. Exactly. <gasps> that is so sinister. Yep. So we keep our backups for a good long time Mm -hmm. and we have base images of a lot of them. So we could just spin up a new server and replace Mm -hmm. the one that got hosed. If our email server went down, we'd have a new one back up in probably the same day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's get into that a little more without giving away any of the, you know, secrets that keep us safe (laughs) or, you know, just putting our security plan out there for the world to look at and try to breach. Um, What are some maybe general principles that hospitals should follow when reviewing their cybersecurity measures? There's uh, two principles that are pretty much the biggest that, in my opinion, the first is the principle of least privilege. If you don't need access to it, you shouldn't have access Mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
That's the reason that I refuse for anyone in IT to have access to anything in fiscal services, anything in the pharmacy, and anything in HR. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if any of those do have an, even an insider threat of some type, mm-hmm. you need to be able to rely on us to help you investigate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if we are unable to even touch it, then we are not suspects mm-hmm. and you can safely have us help. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Not just for obviously the protection of the data, but to know that you have everybody you need on the team can jump in. That's so smart. So that's one least that's privilege. One. And that's also the same with the administrator access. Mm-hmm. Nobody has that. And like you have your file share that no one else can get into. Right. right. Um, we just, everything's locked down so that only the people that need it can access it. Which yeah. is kind of also a HIPAA principle, right? So it kind of plays right into that. And the way we do things around here is the same with access to patient data in particular. You don't get it unless you need it. Yeah. Yep, I love HIPAA. That's the only way I can ever win an argument with a doctor. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> just claim HIPAA. It's a HIPAA thing. It's a HIPAA yep. thing. <laughs> well, I mean, those those measures are important, and, and they're put in place to protect the organization. But it also protects the person trying to gain access, right? Who right. may be trying to do it innocently. For example, right. uh, I we restrict people's access on our badges, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Even though I'm the president and the chief executive office, do you, officer, do you know... I cannot gain into any office that has any type of narcotic or drugs, right? right. I can't get into the pharmacy. Mm-hmm. I have no access to the pharmacy. The only people who do are the people who work in there. Yep. I have no access to the med rooms uh, because I don't need it. Right. I do not need it. You well, you're the, the president. And, that. And, no, actually, I can I can survive without getting access to the med room. Same thing with uh, you, Rachel. I mean, yeah, you don't right. have access to the med room. But that's an important measure, right? We call it control. Yeah. And that control, I think, is is so important, especially in the environment in which we live today. Mm-hmm. I don't want access. Same. It's, it's just one more thing I don't need access to. Right. right? Yep. And I think it protects it. Same way with computers. You know, if I don't need access to that, I don't want it. Um, especially in today's age where it can be tempting for some people to look at medical records, right? How many cases have we heard, Josh? Uh, a popular singer, actor, mm-hmm. movie guy goes to a hospital, it's reported, so-and-so's in, and the number of breaches that I, are associated. I cover that every month in New Hire Orientation. Well, talk to us a little bit about that. I've got a picture of Britney Spears in our New Hire Orientation slideshow. Um, I want to say it was 13 people were fired and six more suspended when she mm-hmm. was in a hospital in California because yeah. they wanted to see what Britney was in there for. Yeah. Risk their jobs, their lives, their right. families. Just yep. for curiosity. Just to know what she was in for. But that's private information. Yes. It's protected and it's hers. Yes. Right. And it's, it's a so, need to know basis. It's, it's so wrong, but it's also very disrespectful to that it's person. It's like, what kind of value do you think they have yeah. as a human being that you think it's your right to know yeah. this stuff? So so let's talk a little bit about that. And I know we're venturing Wait, but what into... was the second principle? Because you had two principles, oh, right? Oh, Did we go over the second right. one? Yeah. Sorry. Thank you. No, <laughs> I got right. it now. I'm so curious. I want to know number two. Okay. Number two. <laughs> Uh, the second one is called Defense in Depth. and Defense in Depth. Yep. Okay. Uh, think of it like Shrek. Security is an onion. It's not oh. a parfait because parfaits are fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. nice. A raw onion is less fun. Yes. Um, basically, it's layers on layers of defense. Mm-hmm. Everything that you have, you have something else watching it. Then you have something mm-hmm. watching that. So while we may have a next generation firewall that's watching all the traffic coming in, we also have something watching that firewall to mm-hmm. see it logs anytime someone makes a change on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we have logs for the server 
that have those logs yeah. to see if anyone made changes to the logs. Yeah. You have layer after layer after layer. That way, if someone does something that bypasses one thing, something else is catching it. And it's not just logging. I mean, we've got the next generation firewall that's stopping things before they get in. But if it does, we have other things that are monitoring the network traffic to stop irregular traffic. It can, oh. Kind of what they do is they watch for, they have baselines of what your normal usage looks like. Mm -hmm. And anything abnormal, it flags it. Okay. And it can kick it or allow it based on either what I tell it to do or what it's preset to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what about... Um What's the opposite of social engineering? But protecting yourself from social engineering, isn't that what it's called when yeah. you kind of use people to end up getting access to something by using their behavior and all of that? What is the opposite of that, I guess? Protecting against mm -hmm. social engineering type of stuff. Because mm -hmm. we do, I mean, you have a lot of training for all of our employees and things like that that we do. Mm -hmm. Barely controlled paranoia. Oh, nice. I like that. Barely yeah. controlled paranoia. Yeah. There yep. you go. Uh, education is the only defense against that. That's mm -hmm. why we have so much of it. Mm -hmm. We uh, One of the services that we pay for is sending fake phishing emails to our employees regularly, and it tracks who clicked on it mm -hmm. and how far they went into the clicking process. Mm. And then it also puts out training videos and things like that that mm -hmm. we promote and award people for who's the best this month. Yeah. And uh, it's training. Right. Uh, the weakest link in any cybersecurity situation is you and mm -hmm. you and me. Yeah. Right. It's true. Right. Okay. So I have to ask you about something. I feel like every other day, maybe twice a day, honestly. She gave me her I password. get. No, I did not. Oh, okay. I get these emails that look the same. They're mostly plain text. There's not like images and stuff, but there's some formatting to the text. So it probably technically is HTML, but they all look very much the same. They're all for some sort of like webinar that's healthcare related, mm. but they come from a different domain name every time. So it's mm. not one company that's doing it, but it is very similar and consistent the way that these things look. They want you that to, come to log through. in. They have a link for you to register for oh. their webinar. But I'm telling you, it's multiple times a day that I get these, and it's hard to tell if they're legit or not. And one thing I told Josh, I don't remember when, not too long ago, was like, the smartest thing the hackers could do is put their virus in the unsubscribe link, you know, because <laughs> people are so sick have. of spam email, that's what right? I do. So there's some stuff that I do unsubscribe if huh. I know it's like a legit company, and may, I always look at the the domain name of the email address and stuff like that. That yeah. all, but some stuff I'm like, I'm I'm afraid to click on the unsubscribe link in this email. That's actually exactly what I do. If it's a legitimate company that I know, then I unsubscribe. Yeah. If it's not, then. If I keep getting a bunch from the same company, I will I'll block them in the email firewall. Yeah. 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 Have you seen that? This thing I'm talking about? I've not like, seen that one. Oh, hmm. well, I'll have to show it to you yeah. next time I get one because it's just it's weird. It could just literally be a company putting out like recycled content to legitimately hmm. get people to pay for webinars that just aren't that high quality. But it just seems off to me. Hmm. And that's usually kind of my the rule of thumb indicator. is like if this makes me pause for even half a second, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a reason for there's that. There's something going on. Yep. So, Josh, let's go back to one of my comments um, as it relates to patient data. Okay. So, we're regularly checking to make sure no one is breaching information, correct? Correct. And 
I'm assuming that's a standard operating procedure for most hospitals. All. Um, so you do audits. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about, you, you, you know, you present on information and you present on not releasing information, even descriptors. Like you can't be in an elevator and say, yeah, that one patient of ours, the male with balding hair, you know, <laughs> had this going on because we say that that's an identifier. Right. So, it's like room 112. Right. Identifier. So we say have no public conversations, but people that maybe are working in healthcare and they see their neighbor walk in and go back to the OR area, they go in and they start looking at the record. Now, because there's tens of thousands of visits every year in hospitals, there's no way you're looking at all 10,000 of those. How do you manage that? Uh, Random audits. Okay. And high profile people, like if say the mayor came in or something, we'd automatically audit that. Right. Right. And so and, um, anyone who might have some sort of public interest within the community or something like that. Right. Yep. That someone would know yes. familiar with them yep. or and uh employees' families are more likely to get audited. Mm. Because sometimes employees will look want to look at their family's record. Thinking yep. they have access. And sometimes they might have permission to access their family's yeah. record, but not that way, right? Correct. You never unless they're have... unless you're involved in their patient care, you don't get into the no. medical record like you would as an employee. Correct. And we cover that very thoroughly in orientation. Mm-hmm. If you have legal access to a record, walk down to medical records, sign a piece of paper. They're happy to give it to you. Right. You cannot look up a medical record in Just CPSI. Just because you happen to have access. Even if you have access to it, even if it's your children, even if it's yeah. yourself, you yeah. cannot look up your own medical right. record. Right, right, right. You have to go through a formal process of requesting the information from medical records. You still can't, even, even if you have approval, you still can't go in and read it. Right. From family. You have to get the official medical record copy. And yes. the proper channels. Because yes. then there's documentation yeah. of who got it and when and why, and you kind of keep more of a chain of custody, yeah. if you will, of the information. And it creates what I understand is a digital footprint, right? So you're going to be able to go back into a file and tell who was in there. But can you also tell how deep they went into the file? Yes. Right. Isn't there can, something called like a, a glass break or something? There's like a, a point in the medical record that is refer. – I've heard Seth say that. He refers to it as like the break the glass spot where it's hmm. like, are you sure you want to get into this kind of thing? I haven't heard of it referred oh, like that way, but it actually – Actually, it's a good analogy. It makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. But it do, it does more than that even. It uh, tracks everything that you went to in that record. It can tell if you looked at this lab or if you looked at that RAD result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it timestamps initials. It shows everything. If you came to me and said, I need to see this from eight years ago, mm-hmm. I could go and find that patient and tell you what they looked at. Wow. So it basically, when someone says, no, I just accidentally hit it. You're like, well, yeah, but you went into every you, single record. How many and, times did you accidentally trip yeah. and land on your mouse key? <laughs> exactly, like 37 times? Yeah. So, yes, and we have had that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it usually is the response that I've heard is, oh, I just must have done it by accident. Really? But, but you, you went can into tell here that here it, and yeah. here. So it creates that footprint. How likely would you be to find those kinds of breaches if you weren't doing audits? I mean, the reality of something else triggering you to look into that situation is probably pretty slim, right? Yeah. There would have to, if we weren't auditing, which is a federal requirement and we 100% do. Right. <laughs> for the record. Yes. For the record. Uh, if we weren't doing that, then it would probably have to be a patient complaint of some kind. Right, to, right. Someone would have to, to like it. say something to someone that they're like, uh, you're not supposed to know that information. And mm-hmm. then they like reach out. But unless that happens, 
how would we ever know without doing the audits, right? Correct. And we have multiple people doing audits, yeah. looking for multiple different things. Diana does some for clinical stuff. Lori Vogt uh, looks at the business side. So you side. have, it's not just IT staff. You have other oh. responsible parties do that. that are looking into this, right? Cardio is looking at their okay. results, doing their audits. Right. Uh, then they report it up to you? It all goes to Stacy. All right. Mm-hmm. And, the, and chief is there administrative a, officer. Yeah. Is there a resources. percentage of required audits you have to do, though, by the government? Do they say you have to look at 20% of your cases? Or is there something that we have to attest to that you know of? Not that I know okay. of. There yeah. could be. Stacy has a number that As she gave us. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Josh, you know, our time is upon us, but I do have a couple more questions. Number one, what keep what keeps you up at night? I know what your why is, but what keep, keeps you up at night thinking about all of this stuff? Fishing. Fishing. Mm. Yep. Basically, it's the shotgun approach. They'll send out a million emails to people saying, hey, I need to access this. If one person lets it in, then you're potentially yeah. compromised if you yeah. don't have the correct defenses inside. Yeah. And my second is, uh, question is for you, how many attacks do you think we get a day together? Or attempts or whatever you yeah, call whatever them. Yeah, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Attempts, attacks, inquiries. <laughs> inquiries. Five, Excuse me, six. can I please breach your yeah, medical records? Yeah, please breach your medical records. Per, like five, six per half hour. Per half hour. Wow. Okay. Yeah, they're so knocking on the I don't door. do math, but one of you guys can so figure out how many that is in a 24 hours. Yeah, it's 240. Yeah. Yeah, at least. I mean, probably so a couple more hundred. than that. Yeah. A day. Yeah. A conservative estimate. Conservative. You get a report on all those? God. Yeah. And so you're looking and analyzing any similarities, commonalities, looking for, really? Yeah. So yep. do you have to, do you kind of look at how many of these were fishing? How many of these were this well, kind, fishing is this? completely different ballgame. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, this isn't even fishing attempts. This is this people is directly, directly trying, trying to, to get into the network. Try, they're banging on the door. They're trying passwords. They're trying to get oh. through our multi-factor authentication. Mm. Yeah. And this could be Rupert and Reggie sitting in their basement just trying to make it make get into yeah. our system. Yes. Well, and I know it works because there was a time I was trying to do something from my phone. I can't remember what it was. I don't remember if I was trying to log into like our secure messaging system or change or set up my email differently on my phone. But something happened that you got in touch with me and you were like, are you trying to change your password? Because whatever I was doing, I fat fingered something a couple times and then it (laughs) it just looked like too many attempts for a normal person intentionally doing that. And I was like, uh, I don't know. And I don't remember exactly how that situation resolved and if, if it was actually me or not. I can't remember now. Am I, I don't know. But whatever it was, you knew right away that you were able to get in touch with me and be like, there's multiple password attempts on this in your, you know, with your username. Are you doing anything right now? Yeah. It's not paranoia if they are out to get you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. If it's rooted in reality. All right. So I'm a CEO and I'm listening to this podcast. And I don't feel comfortable with uh, maybe my organization. Uh, what steps would you recommend and tips uh, that I could take as a leader to address that? What would be the first step that I need to take? Uh, sit down and talk with your, depending on how large you are, your information security team or just your general IT team and mm-hmm. ask them how they think they're doing and how they feel they're doing. Mm-hmm. Check and see if they're having external audits done if you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and make sure they know that it's a lot less expensive to hire a consultant for something that's really very specific mm-hmm. 
that you want to make sure is right. I hire one to for some of our outside firewall stuff yeah. that it's 100% critical. It's accurate. Mm-hmm. And one mistake means we've left a door unlocked. Yeah. Mm. So I bring in, I bring in someone to do that and it's a lot less expensive than you would think. So get your IT director in, have a conversation about when's the last time you've had an assessment or an audit. If they say never, you got a problem, right? Yeah. Need to get on that real quick. It's time We're, to get started. Well, yeah. the best time to do something was yesterday. The yeah. second best time is now. Yeah, that's right. Amen. So, so where would where would someone even start to find that expert? Um, Google. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of companies out there that all they do is supply specific skill sets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We use uh, PYA. Com- we use PIYA for some stuff, yeah. and we use uh, Happy Face Connections. Really? Yep, that's where I get technical people from. Okay. Gotcha. So, so I know there that- are companies that it's easy to vet them, that they're reputable, that they know what they're doing, and that you can then engage with them and and get that yeah. assistance that you need. I would imagine that AHA has some resources on that, too. I think they would. Also, you're, if you're listening today and you have uh, an attorney who deals with corporate compliance, uh, that's also another place mm-hmm. to ask is, mm-hmm. you know, who in the healthcare industry, most of your uh, attorney firms, uh, law firms are going to have, you know, some in-house counsel who deals with these companies. I know that, for example, PYA, who we work with, works with our attorneys hall render uh, to work through some of these issues for hospitals. So, mm-hmm. you know, start with your attorney, start with your corporate compliance uh, team and ask them the question, but definitely start today. Uh, in securing your infrastructure as well as your patient information. It is so vitally important. Well, Josh, you know, we could talk for hours, uh, at least I could, and Rachel, but uh, we do know that time is upon us, and it has been a great session with you to learn about all of the threats. I mean, it's quite disturbing, actually. It really is. It's not encouraging, but it's discouraging. But it's encouraging to know that there are processes in place uh, that protect hospitals, staff, and most importantly, patients' information uh, so that someone out there is not stealing it. So thank you for the work that you do each and every day for Hillsdale Hospital, for our network community, uh, and for ensuring that patient information is properly kept where it needs to be. And that is safely secured, that no one's hands gets on it. So I want to thank you today for joining us on Rural Health Rising. Thanks for having me. And before we close, we'd love to do a fun segment with each of our guests. We want to know, what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life? A few years ago, and I know I emailed out the picture to everyone in the hospital, I was on my way here and there was a giant rainbow going right over the hospital. I remember that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. That's something that you probably don't see at a large hospital. Yeah. Wasn't that awesome, yeah. though, to see it was that? Cool. It was like it just went right from one Was side that in the you. middle of COVID, too? It was. I think so, I think yeah. it might have been. No, it was. And I, mean, I remember seeing it and just like, God, I needed that today. Well, there it is. Rainbow and sunshine. Isn't that great? <laughs> healthcare. Rural healthcare at that. Great place to be, Josh. Thanks for joining us again. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest. So be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. 
Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit ruralhealthrising.com. 